This is the Nearside Low Podcast, brought to you by Missouri Water Polo. For all highlights, scores, and updates, please visit www.mowaterpolo.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Nearside Low. Here we are, the much-anticipated Nearside Low Podcast. Um, As we all know... Um, we are here to discuss something that many think is quite important. Ray, glad to have you. <laughs> Happy to be here. All right. And we've got a special guest uh, today with us, Coach Don Casey from MICDS. Coach, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. All righty. Well, we're hoping that this doesn't end up like the last episode of Seinfeld. Um, my understanding, Ray, <laughs> is that there seems like there's a lot of anticip- anticipation about this discussion of the all-decade team. Um, I've heard from some people, Ray, you've heard from some people, and uh, we don't want to disappoint. Um, but if you've listened to our podcast ever, you'll know we definitely have ground rules with, uh, um, with what we talk about. So before we jump into the actual uh, meat of the conversation, we obviously have our special guest here um, who's been coaching polo for a long time. Um, and coach, we had a pretty interesting uh, 2020 season, I guess you could say. So um, we like to ask everybody, what have you been up to, um, I guess, since uh, the COVID outbreak, you know, spring break? I'm assuming, you know, obviously water polo was canceled. Did you stay in touch with the team? Did you just take some time off? What, what have you been up to? Well, I stayed in touch with the team, but uh, it's, I mean, I'm retired from teaching. So uh and the, the coaching was the only thing that I was doing. So uh, it's been kind of a, I don't want to say boring, especially that first month or two when we were we were not supposed to get out. Um, I, I pretty much uh, stayed in. I pretty much uh, I had neighbors who helped me. At my age, I have to be careful with this, but uh, I'd wear a mask if I did go out and do all the cleansing. It's just a different, It's it's been a different, I, I have never in my life experienced anything like this. And I and I've lived through a lot, 9/11, um, and some of the you know the economic downturns and upturns that we've gone through. This has really been a unique and very hard situation to deal with, in my opinion. So, and and that was one of my that was kind of one of my questions. Like, I mean, you've been coaching water polo for a long time, um, and you've never seen anything like this regard i mean regarding sports seasons being you know on the brink of cancellation or or anything like that i mean water polo is pretty much since you've been coaching in st louis we've had practice and had a state or district championship at the end of the season pretty much every year yes yeah i and i again i i've I've lived through a lot i uh, uh we've had you know games canceled maybe a week i lived through the kennedy assassination um and the sports were canceled for that weekend but this has been not just sports, but just in general societal. So, yeah, this is very unique. Something you tell your grandchildren about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, so, did I take the nerve there? <laughs> so, uh, Coach, the reason we wanted to have you on was to talk primarily about this all-decade team, which uh, STL today came out with uh, a little over a week ago. Um, they've been doing these for all the sports you know, this this season just because of the cancellation. Part of generating content has been these all-decade teams. And I think initially, Charlie and I were discussing whether or not there was going to be one for water polo. And I was quite quite excited when they, when they did decide to do one for water polo. If nothing else, it's great for the sport just to get more publicity. Team came out last week, um, and they 
picked a first-team all-decade, second-team all-decade, and third-team all-decade. Uh, just wanted to get your your thoughts on um, when you saw that all-decade team. And Well, I, I like the idea that uh, these things are done because they generate a lot of interest, a lot of discussion. I, I think trying to choose an all-decade team in any sport. And I've coached basketball and I've coached baseball at the, at the, at the upper levels. Just choosing an all-conference or an all-you know metro team in in a in a in a season is tough. Um, I this is just hard to to actually do a good job of choosing a team for the decade. Uh, we've had a lot of good players come through here, and I I'm not going to disparage any of the players that were selected because I think they're all worthy of being recognized as having had outstanding seasons this decade. My only question is, how did they choose the teams? What were the uh, parameters? Um, and I have a couple issues with with the, the selections, but not with the personalities. I think each team, that's, each player that's on this team, is is worthy of recognition. Uh, but I think what happened is they took stats and probably stats alone because nobody called me. I don't know if anybody <laughs> called you guys, but nobody called me. And I, for instance, the player of the decade. Colin was a great player. I, I really admire him. But you have two players uh, who were selected twice as player of the year, junior and senior year. And you had another player this year, Michael, who I think would have been selected possibly as a player of the year. I'm wondering if they gave them any consideration. Did I, Coach, did Ray, did Ray yeah. send you any money before this podcast yeah, right. to say that? <laughs> they share the same last name. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, the thing is, we're, we're, we're kind of a, a very close community, so yes, there's going to be yeah. a lot of that. But I, um, I I just question how that selection was made. And the other thing is we had the player of the year this year as selected by the coaches, um, and he did not make the all-decade team. And yet players who were on the all-conference team or all-suburban team this year one of them did make the all-decade team, and I'm wondering how the all-conference, or the, I'm sorry, the player of the year doesn't get selected through the all-decade team, and yet another player from this year's all-district team is selected. So, um, I mean, those are my only questions, but I, I think this is great. It's, it stimulates, again, conversation, and I think there's a great interest in water polo uh, because of this. Well, so I'll throw in my two cents, Ray, and then you can jump in there. I, I think, uh, first and foremost, you know, reading through those names, uh, you know, I've been coaching at West since I think 2007, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. But I recognize every name on there. Um, and it's because I knew I knew who those players were because we were competing against them or they played for me. And um, and I knew that they were talented. And so, yes, I agree. Um, super deserving on that. Um, I, you know, uh, shout out to Greg Uptain. He's the guy that put this together. Um, you know, and partially in his defense, obviously, you know, having these teams, there's always debates on this guy or that guy. Um, and I think I want to say he started covering water polo in maybe 2015, 2016. Um, before him, I think it was David Keitel. Um, and we all remember Keitel put together the, uh, the all decade basketball team. And, <laughs> and that was a pretty wild ride the past couple of weeks, I think for that. But, um, you know, I think, you know, in Greg's defense in some regards, I mean, some, some of these kids, he didn't really even know he was just going off what, what the record books and stuff were saying. One thing I did, I went on Mo water polo and I noticed that, um, you know, and, and we're going to talk coach, we're going to ask you a little bit about what, what do you think makes a great player? But, um, I noticed that I don't think one of the, one of the defensive players of the year from, 
from at least what they had on Mo Water Polo goes back to 2012. So you're missing one year there. And I don't remember who it was in 11, um, but not one of those players made the team. And and that would make sense because they didn't have the stats necessarily, depending on the, the way their coach wanted them to play. Um, and, you know, some of those guys probably were deserving of some recognition. And again, there were some other individuals that I'm like, oh, you know, it'd be interesting to see him, him or there on there. Um, and then I think partially, and Ray, we, we talked about this kind of offhand that this year's class, you know, you know, let's be honest, sport, our kids usually are dominant their junior and senior year because they've hit puberty and they're bigger and faster and stronger. Um, and I think some of our kids, you know, might have uh, might have slid in there and bumped some other kids off um, if we had had a 2020 season. It's kind of those are my thoughts. And um, yeah, Ray, what do you got? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I before this team was even put out, I mean, people were asking me, oh, what, what do I think? And I, <laughs> I don't know that. <laughs> Just by someone being on the second team necessarily means they're better than the person on the first team. Um, I, I'm glad Greg put this together. But I think, as, as you mentioned, some of the kids from earlier in the decade may not have been represented as much just because uh, Greg was not around to see them. Um, we've already talked about 2020. I completely agree. Um, there are some players from, from this year's class that I think either could have potentially moved up or uh, even made the team. As I think about some of these kids that are – athletes that now are are coaches i mean i know coach casey could talk down my cds but i mean there are players like like max bernstein um some other players from uh micds that i thought were uh very good throughout the decade that weren't weren't mentioned so i mean there have been people ask me who who did they forget there's obviously some people i think um think we they that could have been included but i don't think their omission necessarily means that they were undeserving and maybe it was due to just not as much familiarity with them. Right. And Ray, and you said this, you said when we first talked about doing this, you were like, boy, it'd be really hard to decide who, right. who I would pick for right. various things. So, um, so coach, that kind of brings it back to you here. Um, obviously all those guys are talented goal scorers, assist people. Um, what do you, what do you look for in a water polo player? Who is your ideal, who is your ideal player? Well, first of all, they got to be able to swim, and I mean swim well. Um, for instance, one of the players that I'm going to talk about is David Zink, who uh, was the first person to break uh, one one fifty for the two hundred IM. Two hundred IM, yeah. Uh, and he could go up and down, and he could do it all game long. Uh, somebody asked me when he was playing, I said, "What makes him so good?" I said, "Well, he's swimming and doing things in the fourth quarter that he does in the first quarter." Uh, the the other thing that I look for is awareness. You know, what's their their awareness in the pool? Are they aware of the players around them? Uh, it's in the army, the armed forces. You call it situational awareness. Mm-hmm. But what's going on around you? Uh, the third thing that I look for is somebody who can make good passes, can get the ball to their teammates. Because I I, I have the philosophy that if you're a good passer, you will be a good shooter. Um, that's just the philosophy that I have in, in water polo. If you can hit a target. You're is shooting the same as passing, Coach? Sorry, is shooting what? the same as passing? Well, you heard yeah. <laughs> my famous saying. <laughs> I mean, it's not quite the same, but but you you know you get up and you're throwing the ball and you're putting it on target, and right. whether you're throwing a pass or throwing a shot, you know it it makes a difference. And I know some people feel that the big good shooter, you got to be able to throw the ball, you know, sixty or seventy miles an hour, which by the way is very fast in water polo. But I don't, I don't believe that. I think you still got to be able to hit your target. You still got to read the goalie, and again, this is awareness. Um, and the last thing I, I look for is, is toughness. You know, do they do they get frustrated easily? 
Uh, can they handle adversity? Do they work well with their teammates? So uh, those are the things that I look for, the ability to swim, uh, awareness in the pool, uh, the ability to get the ball to where you want it to go, whether it's a pass or a shot, and, you know, mental toughness uh, and discipline. Can you handle, and I think discipline uh, leads to toughness. Can you handle situations? Can you make adjustments? That type of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, sounds great. So um, taking notes. Get, yeah. um, you taking get, notes, Charlie? I'm taking notes, yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to get a little bit more into players of past decades as well. And obviously, um, I think some of those traits you just mentioned are evident in some of the players from, from this decade. Um, but also want to talk a little bit about teams. Uh, one of the articles that uh, associated this all-decade team was just talking about SLU is the team of the decade. What to you signifies great teams? What impressed you about SLU this last decade? Well, the thing that impresses me about SLU is that they win. <laughs> I, I mean, everybody simple. I'll say what makes for great teams. And one of the things you have to do is you have to be able to win. And they, they have an advantage in that they are winning consistently. It, it's sometimes it's hard to teach kids how to win. Um, I tell the players, you've got to learn how to win. You've got to learn how to win games that are close. You've got to learn how to win games that go in the overtime. Uh, and that comes with experience. And I think, and it's to Slew's credit, that they have built up a, a, a tradition. They've built up a, a program where the kids are successful and they learn how to be successful from their peers, from older teammates, and from good coaching. So that's the thing that impresses me about Slew is that they've been very consistent about winning. I think they've done it the right way. They, they play defense. They have a balance at both ends of the pool that I really respect and understand. And I think that that's one of the things that makes them a very good team. So one thing I wanted to just touch on before we move to uh, some of the earlier decades was I also came up with an all-girls decade team for this last decade. SDL Today obviously focused on the guys. But one thing as I was looking back was um, we've had some pretty impressive female athletes come through the area in the last 10 years. Um, and I, I put together a list um, talking with some of the other uh, coaches, um, people like Miguel Figueres, who's done an amazing job the last 10 years trying to cultivate female athletes. But uh, thinking about players like Candice Vorbeck, who uh, went on to playing in California, uh, Nikki Barella from Kirkwood, Gretchen Hoff, who is now playing out in California, uh, Sakura Gavin, who uh, is going to Mercyhurst next year from Parkway Central, we know about Terrence Weifel, who played at Marquette and is now at Indiana. Um, Abby Vermeer from Parkway South. Katie Kalizuski, uh, Allison Ney, Daniel Summers, uh, Nicole Thompson, and Jesse Lussman from Ledoux. And Emma Seitz, a goalie from Kirkwood. I mean, just some of those names, and I, that's not even all of them. But, I mean, just about every one of those girls played uh, D1 college. I, I was just really impressed with how, how many girls have gone on and the growth of the sport in the last 10 years. If we were to select an all-decade team, uh, I think uh, that list would be where we would start. I mean, they have been uh, – one of the things that I, that I think people don't understand is that we send some really good girl athletes on to college water polo. So that's uh, – I'm glad that you, you recognize that. 
Coach, we always lo- love the historical context you can always give us with all this stuff. And um, so we kind of told uh, you ahead of time, and we'll tell the listeners right now, what we thought we would do is kind of go through the last couple of decades and kind of get some of the highlights and stuff, since this was the first time I think they've done an all-decade team. So um, I graduated 2000, and I was out of the game till probably about 2006, 2007. So I've only heard stories of those first couple of years into the 2000s. Um, and when I took over at West, you know, you you read my quote in the article about, <laughs> um, about SLU. And uh, I thought West, we, uh, we were pretty good <laughs> until Ray and his companions walked in. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. But um, non-SLU guys, I remember I remember Peter Sauroff from John Burroughs. And I remember Zalewski from Kirkwood. Um, I just remember those guys. And man, wow, you know, that's pretty crazy. So, Coach, what we want to talk about is, you know, first and foremost, give us a couple of players that you wanted to highlight that you thought were top notch in that particular decade. And then maybe we can talk about a team or two that you thought were you were really impressed with at that point in time. Ray, before Coach goes, you got anything you want to add to that or? Yeah, no, I mean, I was I was looking back. I mean, that was kind of in my playing days. I mean, the thing that impressed me about that decade was just how strong some of the players were in the middle of the 2000s. I mean, Coach, we've talked about before about that 2000, I think it was 2004 finals where Coach Casey said that just about every team going in could have won that state title. And there were some good players in that time. I mean, I I, I know David Zink and Tim Hefner from SLU are obviously at the top of that class, but I mean, I remember playing as Peter Sauerhoff and Connor Keefe from Chaminade, who um, were also very good players. As we got toward the end of the decade, I mean, people like Matt Hohenberger in goal and Matt Stepanovich um, were also in that conversation. So the thing that also stuck out to me was the number of lefty, uh, strong left-handed players that were in that decade. But those are those are just some of my thoughts. Coach Casey, what do, what do you got? Well, I, I thought, to be honest, there are two decades that stand out to me. One is the 2000 to 2010 uh, or if you want to say 2001 to 2010, and the other is the uh, uh, 91 to 2000. Um, I thought the uh, I, if we had to pick a, a 10 or 12 year period where St. Louis Water Polo has some really good teams and outstanding athletes, it would be like 92 to about 2004 and 2005. For instance, 2004, you talked about that year. Uh, Mark Stowiski went on and played at Princeton for four years, was a starter. Played in the Institute tournaments, and he was he was a Kirk he was a Kirkwood yes Kirk kid okay. left hand. Uh, Tim Hefner went on and played at Loyola Marymount. Played in several Institute tournaments. I saw him playing one uh, for Loyola Marymount. Uh, David Zink played in several Eastern Championships for George Washington. Uh, Peter Sauroff, uh, Johns Hopkins played in a couple of the championship rounds for Johns Hopkins on the East Coast. Which if they had won, they would have played in the Institute A's. Connor O'Keefe. Uh, Andrew Shonoff, who is one yeah. of the best players to play in this area. Elliot Halverson, Nick Faring, who started at Bucknell. Nick uh, Faring. <laughs> I remember uh, that name. Remember that name? Uh, he was a couple uh, of years younger. Um, these are in the two, uh, Elliot Benoit. Uh, a yeah. lot of people don't realize or have never realized that Bucknell University, who's still a, a big water polo program on the East Coast, they were ranked in the top four in the. Uh, in I think 2000, I believe in 2004 or 2003, and their top eight players, including their goalie, um, David Kennedy, uh, Tate Gretzer, Brian McCarty, Justin McCarty, 
uh, Elliot Benoit, Nick Faring, uh, Robbie Soper. These guys came from this area and played on that team, and that was the starting lineup for a team that was ranked in the top four in the country. Now, they ended up, I believe, seventh or eighth. They got beat in the finals on the East Coast and then go to the NC2As. But that's the starting lineup of San Luis players at a Division One team playing at a high level. That decade that you're talking about was just outstanding. And I've, I've mentioned a lot of them, but even like a Taylor Swires who went out and played at Redlands uh, University, yeah. he played in that decade. That was a very, very good decade. So you mentioned, I mean, was there was there a team that you felt like dominated that decade or? No, uh, no. They, there was there was more balance, I think. Now, there was a team that was in the finals a lot that that decade. And I don't want to. I don't want to mention the name. They were they're over there on, on North Worcester <laughs> Road. They were either in the finals or, or took second. But for instance, the the one I was telling Ray about, in, I think it was 2004. John Burroughs, we beat them in double overtime, and then we went on to the finals and we beat SLU. SLU went into I don't know if it went it went in overtime, but they were taken down to the wire. So here are four teams that are playing, and these all have kids that are going to go on to play Division One. And they're playing four teams within two goals of each other in the semis. So that kind of, it, it, it's hard to choose one team because those teams were all very good. SLU had, I mean, Tim Hefner. They just had a Billy Dahlman. They had a really good group of athletes. We had a good group of athletes. Um, John Burroughs had a good, good group of athletes. Um, so it just, it, it's hard to say there was a dominant team. There were good teams, and I could say the MICDS teams, the SLU teams that period. Uh, John Burroughs had a good group of, of athletes in the middle of the decade. Uh, Parkway West had a couple of good groups. Parkway North had a couple of good groups in that decade. So it's, I, I, I don't think that there's anything like comparable to what SLU has done this decade, where one team just stood out. If that, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the, like one thing that I, I mean, I was looking back at. I mean, I. I think some people don't appreciate how good some of these teams like John Burroughs were that, I mean, now is um, fallen down a little bit, I think partially because of the season change, but I mean, they had some really good players. We didn't talk at all about some of the really good two meter guards at that time. Some of the really good drivers. Well, and I, I'm, and, and Charlie, you may be able to help me, but the two Parkway South teams that won state, they were the early two thousands. I, I don't know if they, I thought they were, 2000 and 2001. Uh, we were we were 98 we were 98 99 the after the year after the year after i graduated they okay. got they they got third or fourth and that they had like jim blackburn and right. terry nolan and those guys were seniors that thomas zinc played them uh, yeah but so I, that was i knew you would remember charlie all right ray you got anything else with this decade or no let's go to go to your let's decade jump, jump, jump it <laughs> Jump into the 90s. Now, uh, Michael Hayes was hoping that, you know, Coach, you would mention him and tell everybody what a great player he was. So I'm just going <laughs> to – Hayes, if you're listening, well, you were a legend in the 90s. Anyhow, but let's talk about uh, let's talk about that decade. Um, players that you remember, Coach, teams that you remember. Take it away, and I'll throw in my two cents. This is, this is uh, again, a decade where there were so many really good players. For instance, the team you played on. You had, an, you had a goalie who I thought was one of the best goalies to play. If I had to rank a top five, I think I would put him maybe. Now, let, me, let, me, let me throw in my two cents on Michael Hill. We, we didn't get him to come out until sophomore year. And his biggest hangup was, and Michael Hill will probably never listen to this, but his biggest hangup was he didn't want to wear a Speedo. <laughs> 
but he was a basketball player and he had a wingspan, you know, we called him the condor. And so, <laughs> well, he had, he had tremendous talent. I, I tried to get him to play with it, but even the fact that he didn't play, he just had tremendous talent and was just an outstanding goalie. Yeah. Uh, I understood that. I, I, I talked to the kids on your team. So, but yeah. that group, John O'Sullivan, uh, there were just Pat Dodge who went on and played college water ball. That was such a good group. As, as John is quick to remind you, or remind me in our, our trivia nights, there are two teams, that, two public schools that have won state championships in the last 30 years, and Parkway South was one of them, and Parkway West was the other. So. Oh, wow. I wonder what the common denominator is there. <laughs> I just... When I was a freshman, there was a guy at U-City, and I cannot remember his name. He single-handedly beat our varsity. Uh, what was his name? Um, he was good. He's got a younger brother that played also. That's um, right. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Is it Seth, the older one? Yeah. Yeah, he's Seth. The... I mean, like, he single-handedly beat our varsity team when I was a freshman. And, I mean, we weren't that great at that point in time. But, I mean, it was like he was just a one-man wrecking ball. So, um, yeah. Well, there were – and I'm gonna, I'll am i go over a list, but I, I – there were – I'll give you two stories real quick. I, I, I won't elaborate too much on it, but we were running into practice, a daisy practice, and we had the kids running we were scrimmaging. And uh, the Air Force coach came in and said, uh, can I watch practice? I said, sure. He was just driving through. He's on his way to the East Coast. And he came in and he sat up in our stands. And after practice, he comes down. And he says, where do you get these kids? I said, what was, who are the, who was the blue team? Are those, is that an all-star team? And it was Kevin O'Sullivan. It was Zimmerman. It was Zimmerman. It was the Cartes. This was that group, Neil A. Singer, Jeff Mites. And I said, well, that's our state championship team. They won the state championship this, this past year. And so, well, who are the other guys? And I, because it was a hell of a scrimmage, excuse the language. Um, Brian Hoberman, the McCartys, David Kennedy. And, and we beat them. We went in that scrimmage, we beat them like 10 to 9. It was the only time I ever kept score because I wanted to be able to. He said, well, who is this? And, and he, said, <laughs> he said he had never seen a team in California that had that kind of talent, except for a couple of the state championship teams that he'd gone to. And those kids were really good. And the second story I'm going to tell is that that group, the Cardis, uh, Michael Zimmerman, the McCar- uh, the Cartes, uh, David Kennedy was our goalie, Brian Hoveman from Chaminade was was a player, uh, Josh Gimpleson from Parker West, you may remember him. We went out to California as a, as a club, and we played in the junior national tournament and took third. And then we went down and played a, a tournament in, in L.A. Uh, we played the team that won the National Junior Olympics at Foothill High School. It was their practice facility and their referees. We went in and we played a game. I, he said, would you come play us? So I said, sure, because I knew who the coach was. And we beat him 6-4 to four in their pool. Well, the next week they won the national championship. We didn't go to the national championship because we had three kids who couldn't go. And the kids chose to play in the junior nationals and then to play in, in L.A., but that's how good that group was. And and there were other kids. Mark Josephs from Chaminade. Uh, I don't know if you remember him. Tim Patrick. Mark, from yeah. uh, John Panilla, who's the coach of, of, of SLU now. Uh, <laughs> Panilla was good. I, yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. I, it, I well, uh, and uh, as I said, Jeff Mites, uh, Mike Tucker from uh, Lafayette. I don't know if you remember him, but he was a really good swimmer. But he's also a very good water polo player. And then the Seth. Register who I mean uh, the Seth Fredrickson who you're talking about, he he made the first team in '96. So there are just so many good players that year. 
Um, the two teams that I remember is our team in 96, 97. The McCarty's were juniors and seniors. David Kennedy was our goalie. And then the teams before that was the uh, Kevin O'Sullivan, Mike Zimmerman, Clifford is a name that a lot of people don't know, uh, don't understand right now. He's maybe one of the best players that I've ever coached. And they were outstanding. Um, they beat a Eureka team who had two Hungarians. Kind of like us this year, you know, these imports. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they came over to Eureka. We couldn't figure out why they went to Eureka. And Eureka had a good team even without those two. Well, they played in the finals against SLU, and SLU beat them. And beat them by about mm-hmm. seven or eight goals. So they're uh, the 90s and the early 2000s, that's a hard group to say who are the outstanding players because there were a number of them. And they went on to play college water polo. So that's the kind of talent that they had. Yeah, and I, I wanted to ask about two more players from that decade. I That that was before my time. But, uh, I mean, Ryan Sandvoss is another name I always hear tossed around and Peter Clifford. Um Peter okay. Clifford, who was just outstanding. And Ryan, I don't know when, I thought Ryan graduated in the late 80s. Did he graduate? Uh, it was like late 80s, early 90s. But he was outstanding. Uh, he's probably the best two-meter, the single best two-meter, other than Matt Stefanovic, who, which I forgot to mention in the 2000s. Matt played at this Met. Um, he went out and played at Loyola Marymount and was one of the best two-meters, a left-hander. One of the best two-meters that I've ever seen play in the San Luis area. I mean, he was just Good player, smart. Uh, they used to call him, I don't know what they called him, I called him the beast because he <laughs> was just so strong in front of the goal. And he had good mechanics, too. He wasn't just about, you know, being physically stronger than the kids he was playing with. That's the 90s. What, what, about, what about the 80s? Ah, uh, the 80s. <laughs> there were some really good players. Um, Ted Bonnestill, Slew. Uh, Aaron McCauley, Park Red West. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, Jim Florsinger from Clayton, who played at Clayton uh, in the, on the club team. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman was, I believe he was a senior, either 87 or 88. Uh, Jay Struckoff, who played at SLU. Uh, Ashley Gray, Johns Hopkins, who played at SLU. Brad Weber, who played at Melville. And then in the early 80s, uh, you had Paul Perisage, you had Jerry Flowers, you had the U-City group, Mike Vandewert, Andy Kuhn, David Kasten. Yeah, Mike Vanderwert went out and played at UCLA and played in two in, in two NC2A finals. Started at UCLA in the early '80s. Uh, was Andy he was Coon, he a goalie? Yes, he was a goalie. Okay. Okay. And then Andy Kuhn went up and played at Brown for four years uh, on a teams that were playing in the NC2A tournament uh, lead up. So uh, those were good years. Uh, this, the middle was okay, but the end of the the decade and the beginning of the decade. As you said, with Ryan Sandvoss in that group, that was just a really good uh, decade. Does that help? Yeah, no, that's that's great. I'm sure uh, somewhere Lance Clark would like his name mentioned somewhere, so I'll I'll throw that in there. But well, Lance uh, actually was the goalie. <laughs> you can throw that in because I'm looking I'm looking at the list. Lance was a goalie on a really good Melville team. They they went to the uh, they made the semi or the, they made the top four. And I believe that was the year he was Ryan Sandvoss's goalie. Um, so that was a that was a good year. Uh, Ryan had a younger brother that played, um, who was was okay. But that was a good group. That was a good Melville team, and they they always gave us competition. Just looking back at the '80s compared to now, um, were, were some of those guys that were dominant players then? Would they still be 
dominant today? And how has is, how is the game changed a little bit since that time that may impact how those players were able to do what they what they did? Well, I, I think the players in that in, in, in that decade, the game has changed a little bit. But I think that group would have done very well today. They would have made adjustments. For instance, Paul Bondes, though, who's the uh, was used was the the slew coach through the uh, the two thousand and the the past decade, uh, and was an outstanding player in high school. Uh, he and his brother Ted Bondes, though, they're very smart. Uh, I would say the same things about him that I said about David Zink, except they weren't quite the swimmers that David is. But they were aware. They had good awareness. They were able. They could pass their teammates. They were the kind of players, and David was this kind of player, which I really appreciate. They made everybody around them better. I mean, Ted Bonnerstill was really good at this. He he would set up players. Uh, he would cover on defense for players. He read situations in the pool and adjusted in the game situation. And the same thing with Paul, um, uh, Aaron McCauley at Parkway West, who was another player. Uh, the goalie, one of the goalies that, that those uh, those years with uh, Miguel Figueres for Slew, he was an outstanding goalie uh, and went on to play out at uh, Loyola Marymount. So I, I think the players that were good then would be good today. I think they could make the adjustment, the good players. And I think physically, for instance, Ted was 6'1", 6'2". Um, I, I think they would be able to play today and do well. Uh, the game hasn't really changed that much. Uh, some of the rules, uh, I, the, the, it used to be dead time was a real big deal where if you fouled a guy during dead time, you got kicked out. Well, that doesn't happen anymore, but you still have the advantage rule. And I think these kids, these players would have made a great adjustment on this. Uh, we've obviously, we love like the historical context you've given us. Um, we've gotten a lot of names out there. Um, if we forgot anybody, we're sorry, but we can only we can only remember so many of the greats. But um, can I real quick just add a footnote? Um, yes, because you went back, and I, I I'm guessing this is because this is your experience. You went back to the '80s, but yeah. there were really good teams in the '70s and '60s. Well, then let's do it. What do we yeah, have? Let's the 70s keep it going. I'm not going to throw out a lot, but I I I, I want to give recognition to Clayton because their teams have, have kind of fallen a little bit off, but they had in the, in the late sixties, they had a team that won 50, I believe it was 54 games. Now you need to understand the context here. We played 12 to 14 games a year. We didn't play 22, 24 or some teams playing 30. So that's a four year period where they were undefeated by any of the games that they played. They never lost a game until that fifth year. Um, Bobby or Alan Stifflman was around that time. Larry Stifflman, uh, Bobby Stifflman. But I want to give recognition to that uh, because they were they were very good. Well, the other thing is I wanted to recognize the the early seventies. Ledoux had an outstanding group. Uh, Ledoux and uh, U City and uh, uh, Cleveland. I, I know people say Cleveland High School, but in the late in the, in the late sixties. Um, Jerry Sherbel, who was the coach at Melba for years, was first team all district two years in a row and made all American. So there have been some schools that have had great programs. Principium in the in the in the the, the, the middle sixties were outstanding. Um, I just wanted to bring that up because we have a rich tradition of our high school having success and having good players. So do you think? I mean, I, I feel like uh, th this is. I mean, you know, it's kind of blown up in the past couple of years, but I feel like this is relatively unique to St. Louis. Um, you know, we've got water polo, and in reality, 
you know, Chicago does, and that's about it, though. You know, Kansas City doesn't have it, um, and most other areas in the Midwest don't, or at least they didn't. Like, why were we, uh, why were we a hotbed? Is it because uh, certain people ended up here that liked the sport, or what do you think? We had a group, Merrimack River Patrol, Wally Lunt, Art Kelly, Dick Newman, who our Offensive Player of the Year is named for. These guys played down at the uh, Missouri Athletic Club. Uh, Carl Bauer, I don't know if you've heard that name before, but he was down there at the Missouri Athletic Club, and they would play water polo. And they, they called themselves the Merrimack River Patrol because way back in the 40s and the 50s and even in the 30s, uh, they would go down and be the lifeguards on the river and, you know, watch the beaches and be the lifeguards because you didn't have that many public pools. Well, he taught them how to play water polo because he felt like that would strengthen them and make them stronger swimmers and better able to handle uh, their job. And those guys, for instance, Wally Lunt started the high school water polo program at Clayton. Steve Nielsen started the high school program at Ladue High School. Uh, Bill Pullman started the high school program at U-City. And then San Luis U, these are the four founding teams. San Luis U, and I, I don't know who was the impetus. I, I think they just had a bunch of kids that swam at Missouri Athletic Club, and they wanted to play water polo. Um, those are the four teams that started. And Wally Lunt is basically, he and Bill Pullman and Dick Newman are the ones that started them. So does that give you a little bit of a Yeah, context? Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's great. And we get we one thing that I think at Missouri Water Polo, we need to do a little bit better job of is uh, getting a little bit more of this history down on down on recording because it, it is so rich. So um, I, I think I've, I've heard of some people that are interested in getting that down, but that's something that I think would be nice to get get down here in the next next few years. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think it'd be great. I, I also have a couple other ideas. Um, we have people who have been here since the founding of high school water polo. Some of those people may not be around any bit, you know, too much longer. <laughs> so I think what we want to do is we want to talk to these people who are the history of the sport uh, and, and get this down before too much time passes away. I mean, one of the sad things, and, and I may he rest in peace, Wally Lunt was instrumental in founding the sport, not just at the high school level, but at the age group level and at the senior level. And when he passed away, a large part of our history went with him. He and Dick Newman, who Dick Newman has passed away within the past six or seven years. So I, I, I'd like us to do a better job of talking to these people and getting their, their thoughts, because I think they have a lot to contribute. That's the history. So um, the next part I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about is the upcoming decade. Um, obviously, um, I think if we look back at the story from, from the past decade, as well as these players, I think. Um, if we had seen that article in 2010, we would have been surprised by some of the things that we, we saw. Looking forward to this next decade, is there any anything that uh, you think that we should be looking forward to or uh, maybe to expect in the next 10 years? Well, my, my concern is, is this year without a season. Um, I, I think when we went, I think it was 2005 to 2007 when we switched seasons. Right. And went a whole year without water polo. Uh, basically, uh, that hurt programs. It hurt our program. It hurt John Burrell's program. It hurt Clayton. Uh, my my fear is that um, this year, this lost season is going to hurt water polo. And the reason I say that is because we're not like basketball where they've got all these camps going on and they've got all these players. And football, you know, the national 
uh, obsession with that sport. Um, we we need to develop and we need to rely on younger players coming up. And and I and I, I I'm hoping that the younger players who didn't get to play as freshmen or sophomores this year who aren't swimmers, I hope that they don't kind of say, well, you know what, I don't know that I want to get back into the sport because I really don't swim a lot. I'm hoping that they'll come back to the sport. So I, I kind of worry about the early part of the decade. But I we have good kids around. We have talent. We have good coaches. Um, I, I think we're going to be all right. What what we have looking forward to, I'm not sure. But I think 2010, I thought that I thought this decade would be a good decade because I saw some good young players coming up. So uh, I, I, I'm optimistic, but I'm also uh, I, I have a little bit of fear that uh, this is going to set us back just like it did in 2005 and 2007, that what I call the 2006 loss season. I completely agree with that. Um, I, I mean, I, I was really encouraged the last couple of years by how strong some of the GV tournaments have been um, and was hopefully looking forward to continue that, continue seeing that at the varsity level. So I, I'm, I'm certainly hoping that continues. And with the loss of hopefully we're still going to have some cold water polo this summer. I know a number of clubs are working on that, but hopefully we'll be able to get some kids involved playing water polo this summer. Um, the other, and it, I, I touched on girls earlier, but, um, it, we obviously have a, a little bit of a movement going on here with um, we've talked about slap. We've talked about uh, last podcast about lions water polo starting. Um, I'm hoping that uh, we'll continue to see girls water polo grow. And maybe with girls that will also encourage boys to continue growing. Coach, you got anything else you want to add? I think we're out of questions for you. No, I, I, I think water polo. Um, I, I think people don't realize even people within the sport don't realize just how good San Luis water polo has been. And uh, I, I think part of that is that within the last decade, SLU has kind of, dom- well, not hasn't, hasn't kind of dominated, they have dominated. Um, but we have a tradition, even within the past decade, of some really good, talented athletes that have come out of this area. And I think the polo that is played here is, is a good high caliber. We've been very competitive out in California. Uh, I would just say that I I would encourage people to come out and see what's going on. And I would encourage uh, people to encourage younger players, swimmers, maybe who are looking for something to do in the off season, encourage them to come out and try the sport. All right. You hear that St. Louisans hold your heads high. We're pretty good at polo. Um, I do say one last thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pretty else. I mean, Michael Hayes was outstanding. (laughs) (laughs) If I left somebody out, uh, it's because there are so many uh, yeah. really good people, totally. names that I could have mentioned. And in a 45-minute program, you're going to forget some people, maybe, or not be able to mention, not have enough time. Um, so I apologize if I've left anybody out. Kevin Kerber, another guy that went out and played. Oh. I mean, these are the types of people that uh, that I have had really good careers and have made an impact here in St. Louis and in California playing at the college level. So please understand that. That's all. Well, Coach, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Ray, you got anything else? I, I do not. All right. And this is the Nearside Low Podcast. I'm in awe.